Let us turn now to Genesis chapter 35, and I'll read the first 20 verses. Genesis 35, beginning to read with verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, that was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Lot's, or Luz, that was Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's May nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree, so the name of it was called Alan Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and the kings and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you and to your descendants after you. I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke to him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died when she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the day, on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. May the, Lord, um, may the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. The title of the message today is The Covenant Family um, Revived. The Covenant Family Revived. And I just wonder, as we look at this passage, do you ever, do you feel that your family is totally together? You don't have any confusions or any challenges of mind? You always have a clarity. You know exactly where you're going. You know how to lead your family. 
mothers and fathers, um, the children, you can just see that mom and dad have it all together. They uh, Nothing ever comes to your mind where you think, what are they doing? Well, I don't think most of us feel this way. Most of us understand that however we're doing, we could do we could be we could be doing better. And most of us have a sense about ourselves that, especially in times like these, that we sometimes do wonder what is going to happen to us and our family. What's going to happen to the church? What is going to happen to the people of God? Well, this text today is a good a good lesson on that. Uh, I don't know what people do if they don't know the Lord and if they if they have no sense of the sovereignty of God in their lives. It's one thing if God leads us into the valley of the shadow of death, that's one thing for him to do it because we know that he'll lead us out of it. We know that he'll bless us in the midst of the valley. But if there's no God, and if we simply go into these places of persecution and torture and disappointment, and there's no rhyme or reason for them, that is a very uh, unhappy place to be. And so we see that these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons, the 12 sons of Jacob, we see that they have some uh, amazingly difficult things that they go through. But we know that all the time, wherever they are, wherever they are in their pilgrimage, we see that the Lord is with them. And we need to have that sense about ourselves. It just If we have this confidence of heart, it helps us so much to negotiate the twists and the turns of our own lives. We need that confidence. And indeed, if we cultivate that in our own lives, then we can talk about it to other people. And we can use that as part of the uh, the, the story that we tell and the hope that we have to shed abroad in their hearts because of our experience with the Lord. When we were up in Michigan last week, um, the... Uh, a couple of things happened. One, they, they asked me to preach. The, the, the pastor wanted a week off. And so he asked me, and I, I preached the sermon that two, two brothers almost had a fight. And it was even better than when I did it here. <laughs> I don't know. The Lord, just, the Lord does, just does these things sometimes. But then they were bringing on board a new youth leader. And um, so he, he had a meeting with uh, the, the younger families in the congregation after the service. And by way of starting to introduce what he was about, he said, let me share a little bit of my testimony. Well, you see, when we share our testimony, our experiences with the Lord, where the Lord has taken us from here and he's taken us there and he's picked us up out of a pit and, and given us a, a, a salvation from this circumstance or that, it, it breeds confidence in us and gives us a confidence. And then we can talk about that with others. And so this passage is a wonderful passage uh, explaining how Jacob's family was really revived in terms of its strength that turned from some bad things and turned to good things, better things. And that is available for you and me. I think oftentimes we just think that life is like a routine that it doesn't really, there's no possibilities for anything better. I've always exhorted uh, my churches, no. Uh, think about the universe as an open universe. It's open to the Lord. And so God is always able to bring new things into your life. Don't settle for 
the, the, diff- the difficulties as they are. Accept them, but know that God will use them for better things. And so if you, if you do that, then you'll be like Jacob. We see here that God used a number of these situations to really, um, uh, in a sense, rifle, you know, that how a barrel of a gun is rifled so that as a bullet goes down through the score, the, the twisting of the bar- inside of the barrel, that it, it gets a, a, a greater stability in itself and it'll, it can go a longer distance because of the centrifugal force that is that forms around that, that bullet. So we need that in our lives. We, but we need to get the help from God to, to do that and to cultivate that in our lives. And so if we, if we look at this passage, we see four main things that God used to affect Jacob's life. Uh, first of all, he used the rape of Dinah. Uh, when we turn to verse 1, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Well, what's the context of that? Well, you look just a couple of verses back, and you see where the brothers had slain uh, everybody in the city because of uh, Shechem's uh, raping of their sister, taking advantage of their sister. And it was a tumultuous time, and it even it even put Jacob against his sons to some degree, and the sons against their father. And the, the very last verse where they were talking about these things, in verse 31 of the previous chapter, the, the, the boy said to their father, should he treat our sister like a harlot? They were justifying their actions. And it was out of this travail, then, that God speaks to Jacob. Jacob is worried. We know from the previous chapter, he's worried that the peoples of the land would take great offense at these Israelites, at his family who were there, and that they would begin to assault them, and they would destroy them, and they would vanquish the people, and they would not be God's people anymore, and the story of God would be finished. So at that time of deep travail, God comes to Jacob and says, Arise. That's a command. Go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. So God used this this really troubling incident, both of the rape of Dinah and the slaughter of the village, to, um, to work uh, blessings upon Jacob, and to catch his attention and to catch the attention of the people. It's one thing for a leader to preach to the people, to say this and that, and then the people kind of go their own way and they, they, they just don't really think or they don't really listen. But in this case, um, uh, God used this, this challenge to go up to Bethel, and we see in verse 4, uh, well, verse 2, they're called to purify themselves. So, God is calling them to, to a new chapter of their lives, but it's not the same old, same old. <clears throat> uh, Jacob said to his household, uh, and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Our, our clothing is often a reflection of the way we feel about God. I, I think sometimes t- in today's world, uh, people just, come to church, they just don't care, or they, they, they don't see any distinguishing um, uh, uh, parts of coming to church and worshiping the Lord and being at home. And uh, so God, in this case, Jacob says to his household, uh, put away the foreign gods, purify yourselves, 
change your garments. This was a new day. And what we need to realize here too, there's also there's always a coincidence or a connection between the inner things that are going on in the heart and the outward circumstances of our lives. There's always a connection between the subjective part of our lives, the inside part of our lives, and the object part, objective parts of our lives. Um, people today, that, that, that connection between the objective and the subject, the inner and the outer, sometimes it's just uh, dismissed, dismissed today as, as not, very, uh, not very significant. But very often... Uh, uh, when we when we go through inner experiences, if those inner experiences are not connected to outward circumstances, the whole thing is lost. It's just like a, a dream that we're having, and then we're not even sure that the dream is true. But in this case, no. God changes their geography. He calls them to a different place. He calls them to to go back where the family had come from originally in terms of this pilgrimage with the Lord to go back to Bethel. And uh, so there's a geographical move here. There are behavioral changes here. There are changes um, regarding their relationships. And it's just not the inner stuff. It's connected to this outer stuff. Same way in your life. If you want to make a change, if you want to, if you want to get closer to the Lord, well then set up some new customs in your lives, some uh, a new change in your devotions or a goal or or a um, a target that you have in your life, and 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 move toward that purposely. Our Puritan forefathers used to keep journals of their lives and write down what they were trying to do this year, 2022 or approaching 2023. What am I trying to do? Where am I trying to go? And then they would try to measure their goals by what they saw in their lives. And so God is doing that here with Jacob. And um, he's trying to revive this family. Jacob has been wandering here, uh, uh, seemingly lost forever in the Far East or Middle East, further in the Middle East, in the Mesopotamia. And now God has brought him back and he's telling him to go to where your family has come from and, um, and um, to repent of these things. Now, you notice here how we don't we would never surmise on our own how corrupted the people had become in this journey but Jacob goes to them and he says get rid of all of your idols that you've got I evidently the earrings that they had were also had spiritual overtones to them or spiritual dimensions and so all of this stuff in a, in a sense, Jacob said, don't worry, don't, you're not to think about the value of the gold earrings. You're not to think about the value of these statues. Today is the day of the Lord. Today, we, we put all these things behind us. And so he buried them there uh, uh, under the terebinth tree. I don't know what that was for. Maybe in the future, they'd melt them down or something and use them again. But at this point, they had to get rid of them. They had to depart from that. And so there are times in our lives where we need to repent of the things that we're doing. Jacob's family was the best family in the world at that time. But guess what? They had become corrupted and they needed to repent. What do you and I need to repent of in our lives? What do we need to hold up as our new goals and, and go and walk toward? So God used this. God used the rape of Dinah uh, to get Jacob to move and to continue his march uh, back with all these people and all their all their um, 
uh, the animals, the herds, and that sort of thing, uh, and to go back. Now, and then verse 5, we see the second thing God used to accomplish this was a terror of all the neighboring peoples as they journeyed. It's just amazing how God, you know, we may think that this is way beyond God's dimension or way beyond our, the possibilities of our lives. But that's not why it's written here in the scriptures. Uh, Jacob and the people, they didn't have to go through any special plans or circumstances. They didn't have to go out at night in some sort of guerrilla action and start fires in the different cities by where they were going or some sort of guerrilla action. No, God took care of it. They started to move toward Bethel and God put the fear of the Lord in these people. These people didn't know him. They didn't, they didn't go to church. They were completely, ostensibly, they were completely outside of the circumstance of the Lord. But of course they weren't because God is everywhere. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. And so God took care of this himself. Remember when you feel like you must do something, that you must lie, cheat, and steal in order to affect the plan of the Lord, like Abraham did when he lied about his wife. Uh, again, this happened, this kind of thing happened a number of times in Israel's past. God is always able to take care of his people. And he's always able to accomplish his purposes. And so in this case, there was this kind of um, atmospheric terror that settled upon the land. And the, the, the fact that they had destroyed this one pagan city of Shechem uh, spread and it, it became larger than it really was but God used it to revive this covenant family uh, the third thing we see here is the death of the two two women uh, this it's really touching you know the the Bible says that the that the the death of the righteous will be in the memory of the Lord <clears throat> We, we, worry whether, we worry about whether even human beings will remember us. The Bible says, I think it's Psalm 112, but the Bible says that, that the Lord, if we are his people, that we will never be lost from his memory. Well, here's a case of this servant woman, verse 8. It says, now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried be below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of that place was called um, Elan um, uh, Bakuth, which means uh, terebinth or place of weeping. But what's beautiful about this is that this person was not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. This person was not even Rachel, who the, the story of her death would be told soon. This was simply a servant woman that was associated with these people. But here in this text, her name is memorialized forever. Because she was special in the eyes of the Lord. You cannot be forgotten. You are not inconsequential. God knows your name. And so God used the death of this woman. Evidently she was a godly woman and very remarkable. Helping Jacob's family. Helping Rachel. <coughs> and she died. And so the scriptures that are telling the great tale of the Lord pause and reprise us with her name and the fact that she had served well. And then just a few paragraphs further, verse 16 and following, it deals with the death of Rachel. 
Now this was uh, Jacob's love. He intensely loved Rachel. Rachel was the romance of his life. And the tale of that romance is told earlier on in the book of Genesis. She, she, is just, she just is giving birth to Benjamin here, the last and the youngest of the children of Jacob. And before she's able to succeed with that birth, I mean, the birth is successful, but she dies in the midst of that childbirth. And so you think of what that was doing to Jacob. This was the romance, the love, the adoration of his life in terms of a, a woman. And God uh, took her from him at this time. It's the epitome of sadness. And yet God used that as part of this revival of the family. Often God uses these sad things to catch our attention and to humble us. And he quiets us because he takes away these outer resources that we have and he takes these away from us and he calls to us and he says, now I want you to be more intimate with me. I want us to fellowship. I want our relationship to take the place of these earlier relationships that you had. And God uses that to revive the family. Last of all, and really most significant probably, is the name change that God uses in verse 9 and 10 and following, where God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Now, he's, we've already heard of this in chapter 32. Here we are in chapter 35. But in 32, uh, God did that in verse 28. But he, uh, very often in the Bible, as the Bible goes along, it will go back to an earlier incident. We see that in the creation story, Genesis, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and 3, where God recapsulates the things and reviews the things and reiterates the things that he said before. Unbelievers come to this and they say, oh, look at this. There's two accounts of the creation. Here there's two accounts of the, of the death, I mean, of the renaming of Jacob. The, look at how faulty this is, how weak this is. This is a contra I can find contradictions between the one account and the other. That's just so much foolishness. God simply goes back sometimes and re-explains a situation and, and emphasizes slightly different circumstances. And so that's what he does, does now. On this occasion, when he goes back, this just happened, it's a rel relatively recent, but he, go, he talks about it again as it, as, uh, as, uh, and, and touches on a number of different things. And it says, and God appeared, verse 9, and God appeared to Jacob again uh, when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. And since Jacob could have, you know, might have said, I, I, yeah, I, I knew that God. But God says, your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Now, uh, Israel, uh, it's explained in the in chapter 32, where it talks about this first time. It talks about how Jacob had wrestled with the angel and how um, he came, he survived it. And so he, he, in a sense, he became, it was a great success with the Lord. And so they, they, the God changed his name because of the success, because he came through this struggle and um, he survived it. Uh, and now on this occasion, in verse 11, God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, a nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you. Now, where does that language, does that language remind you of anything? When you, look, when you think back about the scriptures? 
Why would God say this to him? Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Well, that's what God said in, back in, in uh, Genesis 1, 28. And every time with Abraham, with Isaac, and now with Jacob, at every successive generational turn, God repeats these covenantal words. He reminds Abraham, and then he reminds Je Isaac, and then he reminds Jacob of how special they are to be, how they are to lead a mighty nation of godly people. They're to bring about the kingdom of God, or part of that, until the coming of Christ. And so he does it again here. I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. God identifies himself in terms of being the covenant God. He gives a covenant command or the stipulations of the covenant to be fruitful and multiply. And then he enlarges upon that and he says, but this time uh, Jacob, is, Jacob is the point where he's going to be, he's going to create a nation. And then even it says a company of nations. A company of nations, what, is this, what does this mean? Is this not a reference to the kingdom of God that Jesus comes and talks about in his incarnation? See, God is concerned, first of all, to raise up Israel as a paradigm or as a national example. But then his goal is to raise up all the nations of the world to be in the same way. And so uh, Psalm 47, Psalm 67 uh, Psalm uh, 110, they all talk about how the, these plans of God and uh, when, when God tells Abraham that he's going to work with him and create a great nation from him, he says, look to the north and the south and the east and the west. He doesn't say, well, just look, your, your nation will just be as far as this river or as far as the Mediterranean uh, on the west. No, he says, he takes the compass points. Look to the north and to the south and the east and the west. I've told you before that the planting of Israel is nothing other than the beachhead for the recapture of the world. God is not just concerned for your souls. He's concerned for the whole creation. And he's going to use your soul. He's going to use the, the capture of your souls and your spirits. He's going to use that to make you a prince and a princess of his who will then go forth and do his bidding and create a company of nations that would proceed from the loins of the twelve sons of Jacob. You and the king shall come for your body, the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you. Now this is just another example of dozens and probably hundreds in the Bible. I've been laboring in this present generation in my writing and my my uh, exhorting to, to, ex to get people to realize that God is just not concerned about your inner spirit. He's concerned about the whole creation. And we, we call it a pietism or a separation of the things of God when we focus on just one thing and not the others. Well, you notice here in this passage, God, did, when he comes to Jacob, he doesn't say to Jacob, now, Jacob, I want you to be reborn. I want you, I want to remake your spirit. I want you to pray. I want you to do these spiritual exercises. I want you to read your Bible. He leaves that totally off. It's amazing. And for the pietists, I'd love to have a sermon to be done at Westminster West on this text and take my whole time to just argue the case. That in the text itself, in the scriptures itself, 
we see that there is much more in our to do with our Christian life than spiritual exercises. Now, the spiritual exercises are important. We see here that Jacob is going to build an altar. He's going to build a pillar. All of these things are religious things. His faith, his religious faith is at the core of all this. But in terms of the covenantal language that God uses in this case, it's all outward stuff. I'm going to make from you a company of nations and kings shall come from your body. Uh, the, the, uh, the modern biblical theological guy would say, well, what, what, what does that have to do with the, ki the king, the, the messianic king? Uh, well, it has a great deal to do with it. The through the messianic king, we obtain of many kings of this world. And uh, as the kings come to faith one by one, that's going to change the way they live. And it's going to change <clears throat> the manifestation of the faith in terms of very concrete things. I had a pastor, I had a pastor this week called me. He's an older fellow. He said, Dick, uh, I, I just wondered if I could blow some things by you and see what you thought. And he said he's run into, he's, he's in the Virginia area. And he said he's run into church after church in that area now that he, he says that all they, 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 all they do is they focus on the gospel in a, in a very narrow sense. And he said, I'm wondering now if I even fit in anymore. This was in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And so we talked about it some. And I told him that he's not observing false things. He's, under, he's observing true things. This is the way, in many ways, this is the way the church is developing these days. And it's an errant way. It's a, it's a false pietism. But uh, God, in the, in the text of Scripture, we, we see examples, example after example after example, of how God speaks in a broader fashion. He doesn't just speak about prayer and how we should fantasize about the gospel of Christ. We, we need to delight in the gospel of Christ, but then the gospel of Christ affects our lives. It affects how we live. It affects where we move. It affects our families. In this case, the family of God, the family of Jacob. And so uh, God used this renaming to uh, get a better control of his people and uh, to go further. And, the, the, and verse third, uh, chapter 34, verse 7 Post Dinah, it's interesting. It was just through this sermon that I realized this. I'd never noticed this before. But 34, verse 7, it says, And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, that is about Dinah, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing. What? In Israel. This is the very first time that the people of God are referred to as Israel. 34, verse 7. Now, the, he'd already changed Jacob's name in ch chapter 32. But here God himself speaks of them as being the Israel of God, which he does in Galatians, the New Testament. So it's, a, it's just a wonderfully pregnant passage where God revives a covenant family. And in this, we can see possibilities for our own revival. Each of us, we're teaching our children and our children's children about the Lord. We're giving them hope for the future. We're pointing them in a direction. And these kids of ours, we don't need to fear. We don't need to be excessively fearful for our children. As, and as much as God has protected us and the previous generations, he will protect our children and our children's children. And they, in the words of Daniel, they, in the name of Jesus Christ, we'll do great exploit, exploits in the future. 
just as we have done in the past. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray. We we take great hope and, and uh, excitement and encouragement from the way you work with this family. Even through the, the catastrophes of rape and pillage and destruction and confusion. We, we thank you, O oh Lord, that even as the people picked up false gods and idols and earrings that had spiritual, false, pagan, spiritual uh, iterations, we thank you, O oh Lord, that you that this was not this was not a an obstacle to you. You simply blazed down through it. You used the rape of Dinah, the only daughter of Jacob. You used the rape of Dinah, and you used the the, the terror that you spread upon the people as they marched, and, and you used the death of these two dear women, uh, Deborah and Rachel, and you used the name change. You used all of this to get control of this family. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would control our families today through the chaos and the turmoil of our families. You, keep, you take care of us, O oh Lord. Do not leave us. Do not forsake us, O oh Lord. We need you. Bless us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.